Hello and welcome to the My VA Dayton podcast coming to you from Dayton, Ohio. This is the show where we talk with veterans in the Western Ohio region to share their stories and share what's happening at the Dayton VA Medical Center. I'm Scott Lease, your host with co-host Greg Tucker. And we have with us today an Air Force veteran from the Xenia area, Tim Spradlin. Tim Spradlin served on active duty and later retired from the U.S. Air Force Reserve, where he was in crash, fire, rescue, a civil engineer first sergeant, and finally a security forces first sergeant. An Iraq combat veteran, Tim is also retired from a 35-year civil civilian career as a firefighter, paramedic, and law enforcement officer. He currently is the director and EGALA certified equine specialist for Finally Home Farm, a nonprofit charity providing equine therapies to veterans near Xenia with emotional wounds. He also serves as the VFW board member for Greene County Veteran Services Commission. He is a life member of Post 2402. Tim is also a certified community service chaplain, certified peer recovery support specialist, and volunteers as the chaplain for Xenia Township Fire Department. Welcome, Tim. We're glad to have you with us today. Thanks, Scott. I'm happy to be here. And before we get to know a little bit more about you, I think you know about this. We put all our guests to the test, and that's what we're going to do to you. We're going to put you to the test. All right. I'm ready. It's time! That's right. It's time to play Don't Tell Me, I Think I Know That. This is the game where we put our guests to the test of their knowledge of military trivia, a game where our listeners can play along to see if their minds are mired in mounds of military minutia as ours are. Are you ready to take this challenge, Tim? Yes, sir. All right, great. Well, here is your first question, a question that's customized just for you uh, being so involved with horses. So uh, what is uh, what is not a difference between English and Western riding? Would it be A, English riders push their heels down in the stirrups while Western riders do not? Uh, an English saddle is smaller and lighter than a Western saddle. Uh, C, Western riders are more laid back in the saddle than English riders. Or D, a Western bridle uh, lacks the noseband found on English bridles. Uh, the answer would be A. A, that's the correct answer. Yes, English riders push their heels down in the stirrups while Western riders do not. Tell us why that is. Well, keep your heels down is rule number one because it uh, it keeps your feet in the stirrups and, and keeps your body in line in the saddle. All right. Well, fantastic. So here's your second question. Which side do you mount a horse on? Um, would it be the horse's right side, their left side? or from behind? Uh, the correct answer is B, normally the left. Okay, terrific. Why, why always the left side? Why not the right side? I'm really not sure. Uh, there might be uh, people with disabilities that have to mount from the right, but uh, you normally mount from the left. So I have seen like trick riders mount from behind. Yeah, I've never tried that. Yeah, no, okay. I don't jump that high. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, here's your third and final question. How do you know uh, a bit is correctly fitted? Would it be A, the ring sits snug against the horse's mouth? Uh, B, you can, you can see an inch of the mouthpiece on uh, either side? C, you can see two wrinkles in the corner of the horse's mouth? Or D, none of the above? The answer is C, 
Just a couple wrinkles, not too loose, not too tight. That is that is the correct answer. You can see two wrinkles in the corner of the horse's mouth. So if he smiles, do you still see those those wrinkles? Sure. Do horses smile? Well, they uh, actually open their mouths wide. Uh, some people, they think they're laughing or yawning, but they're often uh, actually drawing in more air because they smell something interesting. Very interesting. Good to know. Well, I got to say, you know, you've done a fantastic job. You were three for three. So, Greg, what have we got for Tim uh, for playing the game today? We have a set of four Dayton VA industrial strength chip clips designed by NASA's aerospace engineers to keep your chips crisp on your next stellar space journey or wherever you may be traveling in the near future. Compliments of the Dayton VA. Thank you. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break here right now. When we come back, we'll hear more from our Air Force veteran, uh, Tim Spradlin, about Finally Home Farm. Hope, where are you hiding? I search for you in the seconds, the minutes of each and every day. Hear me as I call out to you. Take my hand. Lift me up as I lift up others. Welcome me home, father, mother, sister, brother, son, daughter. Hear us now. Alone we stood, divided we fell, no longer. Now we choose to make the connection. Our new mission lies within. Visit maketheconnection.net to learn more. And we're back with Air Force and Iraq combat veteran Tim Spradlin. So, you know, we were talking earlier about uh, the job you have right now. Uh, so what is it that you do? Tell us about how you uh, stumbled into equine therapies and how it has worked for you for almost a decade now. Well, I had horses as just a hobby, trail rider. Uh, but after retiring from both careers, uh, both career fields being the type that have the stigma that you experience a lot of trauma, but you're not allowed to show it. Uh, I had stuffed uh, years of, of uh, ugly circumstances, both on the street and overseas. And uh, when I found myself retired, I was sitting in a chair uh, in my man cave. I was on antidepressants, anxiety meds. I had anger with a side of anger and uh, drinking. And I bought an Xbox, which I'm not an Xbox guy. <laughs> and my wife said, so now what, you, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm just waiting to die. You know, mm -hmm. I, I didn't have a uniform, a title, a, a job. Uh, and um, the only thing that got me out of the chair was going to take care of the horses. Uh, but the horses didn't like me. Uh, and I thought I had problem horses. You know, they didn't want to connect. Every time I tried to catch them, it was a struggle. Trail rides were always a battle. And as it turns out, uh, what I learned was I didn't have problem horses. My horses had a problem human. And I literally opened a magazine, I believe it was a VFW magazine one day, and read about equine therapy with veterans in Virginia. And uh, sought that out, tried it, and then I uh, found the uh, EGALA, which is the Equine Assisted Growth and Learning Association, and got trained and certified. And we started our nonprofit uh, November 11th, uh, 2014. And uh, 
it took a while, but uh, the more I helped others, the more it helped me. Uh, to where after uh, our just had our eighth year anniversary of the nonprofit, and we've served nearly a thousand warriors total in multiple different programs that I now work with. Uh, I'm alcohol free, medication free, and and uh, living in peace. And that includes uh, for over 20 years, I took high blood pressure medication. And learning how to be like a horse actually cured that. And the key thing about that is horses communicate with energy. Uh, they radiate energy. They have a huge heart. And they feel the human's energy and react to it. And that's what they were doing when I was stuck, when I was at my worst, is they were feeling that. And what we learned from them in the Agala model, which is all groundwork, we put the warrior and a horse in a pen together, and the horse has no halter, no controls, free association. And what we're working on is that communication of getting out of your head, down into your heart, into positive energy and connection. And horses are herd animals, and uh, they're hardwired to be connected to others, and so are humans. But when we experience trauma and we stuff it and don't, don't grieve it, don't feel it, our go-to defense is isolation. And that's not healthy. So we learn a lot about that. But most of all, horses are amazing. Uh, they're really not at all like dogs. And, and some people, you know, say, oh, it's, you know, I love dogs. I love horses. Horses are a totally different psyche. They have this amazing ability to just live in the moment. They experience trauma, but they don't carry it like we do. They don't stuff it and suffer from it. They don't forget it but it just doesn't control their life. Right. And so you were saying that um, the horses was reading you mm-hmm. and that and the horses had a problem with you. Um, what what kind of problems were they having with you that, you know, what were you radiating to them and communicating to them? Well, at the time I was, you know, diagnosed with, I said, depression, uh, anxiety attacks and, and just anger management and uh, frustrated at, you know, where my life was at. I didn't know what to do after retirement. I didn't have a purpose. Uh, and uh, they can feel that. And so I'm not safe to connect with. And uh, they're a prey animal. So they're always, um, they're on defense without being paranoid. They're just aware that they want to be connected. But if you're not safe to be connected with, they're going to stand off. They didn't bite me. They didn't kick me. They just didn't want to cooperate or be near me. And that's the lesson we use on the ground with a warrior in there that's, uh, is coach them through that. Uh, through a lot of different right. exercises on the ground. Um, we teach uh, warrior meditation, which comes from the Save a Warrior program um, that I serve with down in Hillsboro. And uh, we actually meditate with horses, which is really cool because I watch the horse while the human is working on changing their energy, and you can see the horse change. It mm-hmm. will come closer. It will become curious. Horses uh, communicate with that energy plus non-verbally with their head movement and ear movement and that kind of stuff. And it's, it never gets old. It's, it's just no. a blessing to, to learn that. Yeah. So now you were, you were saying that they were having a problem with you, but when you started changing, you saw the, the change in them and how they reacted to you. Well, my horses are very happy now. <laughs> <laughs> when I come to the barn, it's, they're happy to see me. And, uh, and then they're always honest. They have no ego. Yeah. Uh, they, they don't judge. They're simply saying, you know, I want to be with you. Oh, maybe you don't feel good. And if I have a bad day, all I have to do is go out for morning chores, and I'll recognize it. You know, I'm stuck with something. And, and every day is uh, you know, a daily practice of staying well. So they continue to keep you 
on guard of that. Then. Oh, they keep me grounded. Yeah. Yes. They, uh, okay. So in your therapy with other, other veterans, the, you're, you're teaching them to read the horses as well, or, or are you teaching them? Well, what, what exactly is it that they are doing to, uh, to receive the therapy through the horses? So through this connection exercise, through multiple sessions and various exercises the EGALA model has, uh, it's all experiential learning through metaphors. Um, sometimes we don't even disclose the horses. Is it a male or a female? What's its name? Because the horse may take on a different name in that warrior's experience, in their learning. And we kind of trust them working with the horse. It's, it's almost like a, a, a barometer. It mirrors and they learn to kind of, again, breathe, control their feelings, and get grounded in the moment by how the horse is reacting to them. So it's a, it's a process of building and learning, and everybody starts at a different spot depending on where they're at with their emotions. So are, are the veterans realizing, I mean, do the veterans come to you saying, I've got a problem, I need to work on that problem, and, and then the horses help them realize what that problem is or how to deal with that problem? It, all kinds of different ways. Uh, so first of all, the Gala model includes a mental health partner whenever we can. And so I like the mental health partner to be in the barn, a mental health professional. I'm a survivor, I'm a peer supporter, but I'm not a licensed counselor. Um, sometimes from my point of view the most powerful thing I say is me too because these guys think they are the one who's defective guys or girls uh, they think they're defective helpless and alone and and they don't realize that they're normal and then the mental health partner will coach them through other things if they come to me first and they don't have a mental health partner I sa- I have some that I try to connect them with or send them to the Dayton VA and uh, hopefully we can communicate with the mental health partners if they've already got one. And I have a couple of civilian uh, mental health providers who refer people to me as a compliment to what they're doing in the office. Uh, so it's a process. And um, if they're working on something specific, uh, fear, anxiety, anger, there are exercises we do that they use the horse to help identify how to come down from that. And again, be like the horse. So a lot of veterans come to you through a provider. Uh, what if a veteran um, uh, feels that this kind of uh, therapy would benefit them They and, and, and they've never gone to any kind of mental health specialist? Well, I'm going to highly encourage them to. Uh, one thing I've learned is uh, I can't fix anybody but me. And the warriors who come out, they have the power to fix themselves. All I can do is encourage and share my story uh, from my mental health care at the Dayton VA um, that it helped me, and I encourage them to do it and hope they will. So tell me what a veteran needs to know uh, before they, they go to the health care provider. Is that something that they're doing a little self-diagnosis on first, or, or, or what's going what's gonna to lead them to uh, knowing that they have an issue? Well, if they come to me first and they aren't seeing a provider, and there's some screening tools we use, some survey questions, and just generally, what's your symptoms? And the thing I've found, um, a lot of veterans are resistant to talking to someone who's not a veteran. So that's another quality that, that I bring that I can you know, share with them. Again, the me too. I can share my story um, and help them bring theirs out. And then they describe their symptoms of anger, depression, frustration. And yeah, you could use some mental health care. And, and again, when I was where you're at, I went to mental health care and it helped me. And that's, that's really all I can do is give that testimony. Okay, Tim. 
Uh, if I can ask you a little history about the EGALA program, did that originate here, or if you can give us a little background? It actually originated uh, over 20 years ago in Utah uh, through actually mental health professionals who were also horse people. And um, then there were also studies of natural horsemanship where uh, folks sat on ridges out west and observed wild horse herds for hours. And they watched how they communicated non-verbally through energy uh, where you, uh, a, a signal would just ripple through the herd, say they sensed danger or something like that, and they would all move in uniform without a sound. And they started realizing the energy of horses. And then these people with horses realized that the more they controlled their energy, the better experience they have with a horse, and we can share this with others. So EGAL is now a worldwide program. There, I just went to refresher training in October, and there was a, a student there from New Zealand who flew to the States to take the training. Uh, so it's, it's an amazing program, and uh, it works with uh, all kinds of populations. It's becoming uh, more popular with veterans, and EGAL now has a special designation for military service provider which, which I have, and, and uh, the program I work with in Licking County, we have that as a program designation. And that is a uh, doorway to uh, EGALA's Adaptive Sports Grant with the VA, where we can get these veterans into eight sessions uh, paid for by the VA. Uh, for me personally, uh, at Finally Home Farm, um, I'm blessed to not need to be paid. I collect my state pension and my reserve pension now, so I don't charge and I don't get paid. Um, I, I get paid in smiles. Okay. Okay. So this is where you had mentioned the connection between horses. And some people equate it somewhat to like some of the other therapies, like, for instance, uh, the uh, pet therapy or dog, mm -hmm. having a uh, support dog. A person that's going into this program would they have to have some experience as far as working with horses or uh, i know sometimes it's a big animal and it's that fear especially when you see a horse show its teeth <laughs> well i answer the second part they are big animals okay. um they do uh they don't have fingers so when they're curious about you they're going <laughs> to nibble with their lips and their teeth a little bit can they bite and kick sure uh, you'll see them do it to each other in a herd dynamic. Mm -hmm. But um, I've never had that happen in my program. And it's a stereotype, just like any other stereotype that's negative. But that's a, a piece of the fear we overcome. Uh, and we work on that. And, and so they don't really need, uh, veterans really don't need to uh, be experienced uh, horsemen. They, they don't have to have that uh, growing up around horses or, or learn, knowing how to ride before they come to you, correct? It's actually better if they don't. <laughs> because... And, and I get people who had horses as kids and stuff, and they loved the reconnection. But for me, you know, I was over 20 years owning horses, and I didn't understand them until I took this training. And for experienced horse people, and we train alongside the mental health partners at the Agala programming, we have to unlearn. We're not teaching horsemanship. And so a veteran comes in and says, oh, yeah, I ride all the time. Well, I don't want you to show me what you know about horses. We're working on you. And the horse is the catalyst for that. 
And the cool thing about the horses, I have to be trained and certified and have continued education, but they're perfect the way they are. They're always experts at being calm yeah. in the moment yeah. and being connected. So, so has there ever been a time that you've worked with a veteran that has just been a real surprise, uh, an, an amazing story where they have come in and had some serious issues and all of a sudden they, they see the light? I have witnessed miracles, praise God. I just, I've seen some people just truly have a, a major aha moment. And you can't always have a horse in the living room. And I'm blessed to have them, you know, out back in the barn. But you can Don't learn. Don't tell Mr. Ed that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you can, but you can learn how to be and take what you learn in the session in the arena and apply it at home through grounding and mindfulness and meditation to get that feeling. And so that's the whole process of, of identifying that. I personally believe that the power to heal is inside us once we get unstuck from our brain gets stuck in the trauma, we're stuck in fight or flight, and we rewire our brain through, you know, learn how to control it. And uh, there's some books from the Save a Warrior program we recommend on understanding how that trauma got stuck in you. Uh, Save a Warrior is doing a lot of work and research now into how childhood trauma, undiagnosed and untreated, is affecting the adult experience. And veterans often find out they they have childhood trauma was a factor in that, and me too, and didn't even realize how much that affected my adult life. So it's, uh, it's learning how to be, and then you can do that every day without having to have a horse in the back seat. Right. Now, so you, you were mentioning far as that you don't have to have a horse in your living room <laughs> or in your backyard. So someone that's listening to this program, that uh, would like to help or volunteer time also as far as towards this cause, what would be the route they would need to go? So for me personally, I don't need or use any volunteers. I, I work with individuals uh, in private sessions, and I lead a, a group one night a week. And when the weather permits, I have some folks who help me. We do some riding in that group also. But again, the horse, horses are the catalyst that brings that group together as a community because they're all working on a healing journey and they support each other. Um, but I have partnerships with other programs like down near Bellbrook and over in Licking County that can use volunteers and I direct them there. So I've had several folks who came through my program and wanted to do more. And one piece of being well and faith and my daily practice of mindfulness, meditation, and finally service to others. If I volunteer a few hours at a therapeutic riding barn for children, that could be powerful and healing. Because if I serve others, I can quit whining about myself. And so I refer veterans who want to do that to, uh, to those things. Now, you had talked earlier about how uh, when you left the military, that was, that was a big um, step towards uh, having to address some issues because you no longer were in uniform. You no longer had a title, as you were saying. Um, tell us... Tell us, why did you join the military to begin with? <laughs> I describe myself as an accidental veteran. Um, I grew up with two uncles in the fire department, and I loved spending time. And probably by 11 or 12 years old, uh, I was allowed to spend 24 hours and ride in the assistant chief's car uh, down in Portsmouth, Scioto County. And all I ever wanted to be was a firefighter. And I started volunteering at Xenia Township in high school, and I was impatient to go to work full-time and uh, you had to be 21 to uh, to take the test to work for a city 
And so one of the other volunteers happened to be uh, the local Air Force recruiter. And uh, he took me over to Wright Pat. And I know he, at the time, he was just recruiting some kid, but he's actually still a lifelong friend. Uh, he's retired in Florida now. Well, no, there's an exception to the policy. Yeah, yeah. Friends um, with your recruiter. <laughs> yep. Uh, he's, you know, he's, he's a retired pastor now also. Yeah. He's, he's been one of my spiritual mentors. But um, so I joined the Air Force to jumpstart my career and got a guaranteed job. And at the time, in 1978, uh, recruiting was down and they were offering guaranteed career jobs and stuff. Uh, so that's what I did, jumpstarted. Um, and then uh, my fourth year, I started driving home and taking tests and uh, – got out on a palace chase uh, to do 12 months in the reserve and came home and went to work for the fire department. And that 12 months in the reserve, I found, was a great side job. Of course, that was Cold War days. There wasn't a lot going on until after September 11th. And uh, it, it just, I just stayed. <laughs> it, I enjoyed uh, the, uh, the mission. I enjoyed the camaraderie. And then the last 10 years, becoming a first sergeant, I got to do something completely different. And really enjoyed that it was very very rewarding yeah so you were a first sergeant uh and were you a first sergeant in iraq yes time so tell us a little bit about your 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 experience with uh the iraq war well um as a security forces first sergeant uh and a reserve unit they weren't deploying us like we trained that's a big policy issue but they were picking and choosing they take a, a four-man fire team a heavy weapons team they take a 13-man squad but the commander and I were basically told, and, and an active duty kind of said, uh, you know, we don't want anyone tech sergeant or above. We're just going to take your troops and plug them into active duty units. And so uh, the commander and I both ended up deploying individually at different times. And um, so the active duty unit at Wright Pat was supposed to send a headquarters element. Their first sergeant had a hardship, and I was asked to fill the slot because I had experience with cops. And I did. And... Um, the uh, commander that deployed with us was also a, a, a reservist, Georgia State Trooper, and we hit it off like peanut butter and jelly. And then when we, ultimately, we were a mixed unit of active guard reserve and assigned to the Army. Uh, we were an MP company instead of an SP squadron. That was an interesting thing, but I Culture enjoyed Culture shock that. for you? No, not really. No, because the SPs are very much ground combat, air-based right. defense, and... Right. Uh, uh, weapons-oriented, mission-oriented, so it was just learning terminology and uh, uh, working with the battalion. And uh, so um, the uh, as, a, as a medic in my civilian career, and I was a medic on our SWAT team at the time, uh, in training, the Army taught us combat lifesaver, which with my experience, I became a, an instructor for. And then um, when we got to Iraq, the battalion was supposed to put combat medics with my crews outside the wire, and they didn't have enough to staff their own missions. And third day in country, we took our first casualties. One of our, one of our patrols got hit with an EFP. And one of my young airmen who had uh, learned uh, combat lifesaver actually saved his buddy's life. And um, so uh, that was, for me, as an adrenaline junkie and an overachiever, mm -hmm. I, I went to the commander and I said, uh, I'm going to start riding out on missions as a medic. And uh, it was, you know... One part of me said I was taking care of my troops, which was my job. People are my business. The other part of me was the adrenaline of, you know, being on the tip of the spear. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, went over to the medics, packed a bag, and uh, two or three days a week I, I rode out with the crews. And after, you know, after a couple of trips, they 
stopped thinking of me as the first sergeant. And uh, it was, uh, I got the chance to, uh, to help a lot of civilians. So how did you go from a civil engineering squadron and, and fire department? Did you have EMS training to become a medic before you just hopped on the hopped in the vehicle to go and no i'd, I'd been a paramedic since okay. 1983 it okay. was required for the fire department right so firefighter paramedic was our job title and that was our, our most common thing there was we saw a lot of trauma i mean we saw gunshot wounds on the street we mm-hmm. saw knife wounds traffic accidents those kind of things falls so treating trauma was was a no-brainer um and uh some more of my uh my cops got wounded but none got killed thank god and uh it was just a, uh, it was a blessed experience. And that was also, uh, as far as my faith, I had that experience there uh, restored my faith in God, which yeah. I had lost in 2001 from the death of a child out on a call on the street. And uh, so it was uh, amazing in more ways than one. So as a first sergeant, in many ways, you are a father figure to a lot of young airmen. Uh, were there any times that you had to put a young airman on the path to the straight and narrow? Yeah, <laughs> I did more Article 15s, unfortunately, uh, mostly for lost weapons uh, in that 10-month uh, uh, activation than I did in my entire career, but it's it's part of the job. I also okay. got even more opportunity to be a mentor, to be a guide, to give advice, uh, got a DSN call back to the States and sat with a young man while his first child was born over the phone and uh, trying to get a podcast up on the internet. Uh, I don't know what you'd call it, Facebook Live or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, so he could see his family. But that was, you know, so there's much more opportunity to be positive. And, uh, uh, most oh, I'm of, sure. I'm yeah, sure. Absolutely. M- most of my troops were uh, younger than my kids. Yeah. And uh, so uh, it, was, uh, it was much more positive than the, than the, the things that I had to do uh, uh, on the disciplinary side. Well, we're going to take another quick break now. When we come back, we'll hear more from Tim about his experience with the Dayton VA. With the signing of the PACT Act, VA now has a huge list of presumptive conditions attributed to burn pits or other toxins. They also have a new extensive list of locations where they presume these exposures occurred. With regard to presumptive conditions, the list includes brain cancer, gastrointestinal cancer of any type, glioblastoma, head cancer of any type, kidney cancer, lymphatic cancer of any type, lymphoma of any type, melanoma, neck cancer, pancreatic cancer, reproductive cancer of any type, and respiratory cancer of any type. Illnesses that are now presumptive include asthma that was diagnosed after service, chronic bronchitis, COPD, chronic rhinitis, chronic sinusitis, constrictive bronchiolitis or obliterative bronchiolitis, emphysema, granulomatous disease, ILD, pleuritis, pulmonary fibrosis, and sarcoidosis. Locations for presumptive exposure on or after August 2, 1990 include Bahrain, Iraq, Kuwait, Oman, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Somalia, UAE, and the airspace above any of these locations. To find out more information about how the PACT Act affects you and your VA benefits, you can also visit VA's comprehensive website about the PACT Act by visiting va.gov PACT, where you'll also be able to apply for VA health care or apply for or submit a supplemental claim for VA disability. Or you can always call VA's information hotline 24-7 at 1-800-698-2411. 
And we're back with Tim Spradlin, an Air Force and Iraq War veteran. Uh, and he's going to tell us, if you would please, a little bit about your experience with the Dayton VA. Well, I've always had a positive experience with the Dayton VA. And then um, in my civilian career, I, I went to a lot of emergency rooms in the area. And everybody's always got an opinion. And I think sometimes that's just based on unrealistic expectations. Uh, I know the Dayton VA, or other VAs, all VAs, sometimes take a lot of uh, criticism. But for me, um, in 2010, um, my youngest son is a soldier deployed to Afghanistan. And that was a huge trigger. My bucket ran over. And uh, I was uh, chief of the State Arson Bureau at the time, so I was still hiding. I told my boss I needed to get uh, physical therapy for my neck injury, which I suffered in Iraq. And instead, I went to the Freedom Center and did individual counseling. I met Bill Wall then, who's still a a great friend, and um, had a very good experience. From there, they uh, referred me to PTSD University. And I spent the rest of that year while Brian was over in the stand uh, in that group and got a lot of comfort from that. Uh, I did agree to start taking medication. Still didn't tell my employer (laughs) because I didn't want to be disarmed and put on a desk. And that's an integrity fail, but it's typical of the career field that we don't want to be judged and we don't want it to affect our job. And um, that helped me a lot. And then uh, later, I finally, after years of... uh, physical therapy and pain injections, uh, processed a disability. I was injured in a Humvee accident uh, overseas, and uh, I uh, had a compression damage to my cervical spine. So went through the VA and was referred out in the community and had surgery to fuse that and uh, got a small disability for that, uh, for which I'm grateful. Uh, But it uh, allows me to continue to serve and uh, to... uh, The surgeon did tell me I shouldn't ride horses or my Harley anymore, and and I keyed on shouldn't. Yeah, I I, I caught that. (laughs) But uh, I'm still living life, and uh, uh, now I'm a patient of audiology. Uh, I'm waiting on new hearing aids. I lost one somewhere on the farm. It'll turn up (laughs) sooner or later. But uh, they've been great, and uh, I was surprised to get the uh, uh, hearing aids at no charge. And the folks up there... and. I made an appointment every time I've gone up there, and I'm an early riser, so I'll schedule an appointment for 8 o'clock, and I'm back in the truck by 8.45. Hearing test, consultation for the hearing aids, now getting new ones since I lost one. Um, They've been great. And so uh, Mm -hmm. I've always had, again, a positive experience with my care uh, there. And uh, obviously from veteran services, we transport veterans uh, to the Dayton VA, and I talk to a lot of veterans. And, again, those, if I I can get them to be honest with me, especially in the mental health realm, uh, they're really looking for a quick fix. They want a magic pill. And uh, you know, relief is temporary. You can, you can get relief. But if you want the cure, it's going to take time. And uh, I know statistically a lot of veterans don't go back for their second mental health appointment. And that's disappointing. But that's on them. They're, that's not the VA's fault. And... Um, I believe the, the folks I've worked with up there and uh, actually got to meet your director at the, the November 12th uh, open house. And I had also met uh, uh, Jay Weinscott down at the uh, vet center when he was down there and actually referred some veterans from there that we've worked with. And uh, so, yeah, I'm glad you're close by. I'm a happy customer. I and share that with people when they say, uh, I hate the VA. 
And it's funny because at county level veteran services where we have service officers who process claims and stuff, uh, our office is in Xenia and we actually have met people who mistake, you know, that's the VA, I'm not going there. Mm-hmm. Well, we're not the VA, we're going to help you navigate. We know it's hard uh, to uh, process a claim or get benefits, those kind of things. That's what the county level office is for, is to complement that and help them. Absolutely. So I encourage folks all the time to get involved, go to the office, see what you're eligible for, come over to the VA, get registered, see what you're eligible for. And um, so, uh, yeah, now it's a, it's a blast. I still have civilian care through TRICARE, and uh, that's been great also. I'm so glad and so blessed that I stayed in the reserve. But, you know, you were, you were talking about how there are so many veterans who are just reluctant to go get that care, uh, uh, primarily because of pride mm-hmm. or, or because of prejudice uh, for, the, for the VA. Um, what would you tell somebody um, who might be contemplating but uh, just isn't ready to, to, to make that leap yet, um, especially if they're um, – especially if they, if they feel that it – that they're ashamed or that they're not worthy in some way to get that care. Well, Jake Clark, the founder of Save a Warrior, loves to say, uh, when you get tired of your own BS, come and see me. (laughs) 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 He's pretty blunt. But uh, literally, um, if this isn't working, why do you keep doing the same thing? Mm -hmm. Because that shame and denial and dissociation and numbing and everything else you're doing, uh, you're doing it because you're normal. You're denying your humanity. You know, you're a human with emotions, and you had a terrible experience that hurt you. You have a mental and moral injury. Get care. I, I work with first responders also. I say, if, if, if you broke your ankle, can you go into work in a police car? Well, no. Well, you broke your brain. Get some care because at the, at the end of it all, you're just perfectly normal. It hurts. And the more you deny it and try to numb it and, and, uh, and not get care, you're just going to keep being miserable. It's really up to them. You know, wellness is, is, I am happy and at peace today because I chose to do the work finally. <laughs> I spent a lot of years not being happy and at peace. So it's, uh, that's all I can do for them is say, yeah, me too, and I'll help you if you want the help. So what was that, what was that tipping point for you personally? Because you had mentioned that at one point you were uh, self-medicating and mm-hmm. you were kind of, withdrawn it was very much the horses as i said after retiring from the reserve and uh, i had to retire early because of that neck injury and so i retired as an e8 and i had a lot of mentors and friends who were coaching me i was going to be an e9 chief master sergeant and i failed to do that so my retirement was angry I i felt like i was a failure instead of thank god i survived and did this uh, and then retired from my civilian career is just, I didn't know how to be just him. Uh, I'd always had a job with a uniform and some, and then eventually, you know, climbing up the ranks, a title and significance. And um, I was miserable. I was sitting in that chair, as I told my wife, waiting to die. And the horses called me out on that. And then again, another little God wink is opened in that magazine and say, oh, that's cool. I love horses. I'm going to try that. And uh, that's when the learning began. And it took a few years. Um, you know, and four years into that, I then Save a Warrior moved from California to Ohio, and I was invited to uh, uh, become a facilitator with them for their equine experience. And I got to, they asked me uh, to sit in to one of their cohorts as a witness. 
I was still carrying a lot of stuff, and they lied to me. There's no such thing as a witness. That's an amazing program, <laughs> and it's for uh, veterans who are severely stuck and potentially suicidal. And um, that was uh, another huge step in finding the path to wellness to where now I, I know that if I stop my faith, if I stop meditating, if I stop reading and learning how this organ between my ears works and how to control it, if I stop serving others, I'm going to be back in that chair, angry, playing Xbox, drinking beer, and I don't want to be there again. <laughs> so I'm going to do the work every day as long as I'm, I'm alive because it works. So when you wake up in the morning, what do you think? Thank God. I woke up again to be of service, yeah. literally. Uh, you know, had things happen, you know, close calls in Iraq, close calls on the street, uh, on, on the job, you know, nearly got killed on a traffic accident one time. I had a burning house fall on my head. And, uh, it's, uh, I've done a lot of dumb stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't we all? <laughs> and I'm just happy to wake up again and, and uh, be of service until the Lord takes me home. Well, thank you, Tim, for uh, sharing your story with us today. We love hearing stories like yours, especially from our veterans here in the area. And I uh, just want to say uh, terrific having you here today. Thank you all very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. When I retired from the Air Force, I received my medical benefits for life through TRICARE. I didn't know I was also eligible for care through the VA, some of which I pay no copay for or an annual premium. Now I have options I didn't know I had before because of the Dayton VA. Don't wait another day to see how the VA may help you. I'm a vet and it's my VA. Make it your VA today. Call 937-268-6511 extension 2159 to enroll or visit dayton.va.gov. Our veterans put everything on the line to protect our freedom. We may never be able to repay them for their sacrifice, but we can show them just how much we appreciate all they've done. Every day, hundreds of people just like you volunteer to help our veterans. You can help by simply sharing your time, lending a warm smile, a supportive hand, or a sympathetic ear to someone who needs it. Everyone can do something to make our veterans know how much we appreciate their service. What will you do? If you're homeless or at risk of becoming homeless, we can help. We offer many programs and services, including free health care, and we can help you connect with resources in your community. We help veterans who are homeless or at risk of becoming homeless due to financial hardship, unemployment, addiction, depression, or transition from jail. Contact one of our care coordinators to get help with immediate food and shelter needs, including both transitional and permanent housing, job training, life skills development, and education justice system navigation, and community reentry from jail. Financial support to prevent homelessness, addiction, and depression treatment, along with health and dental care. Now, if you or someone you know that's a veteran who is homeless or at risk of becoming homeless due to financial hardship, unemployment, addiction, depression, or transitioning from jail, the VA Medical Center can help you. Contact a Homeless Services Care Coordinator to get help. Contact our Health Care Coordinator at 937-268-6511, extension 1364. 
We want to say thanks again to our special guests for taking time today to share their story. We truly enjoy hearing stories from veterans from across the region and learning more about how they found care through the Dayton VA Medical Center. And as always, we want to thank our listeners for joining us and remind them if they are a veteran and are not enrolled to enroll with the Veterans Health Administration to receive health care benefits through the Dayton VA Medical Center. It's easy and it doesn't cost a thing. You just need to be a veteran. The simplest way to start enrollment is to call our enrollment and eligibility office at 937-268-6511, extension 4105. They can schedule an appointment for you to come to the Dayton campus or help make an appointment at one of the surrounding community-based outpatient clinics located at Springfield, Richmond, Lima, and Middletown. Again, that number is 937-268-6511, extension 4105. Veterans may also enroll by visiting www.choose.va.gov slash health. While there, you can choose from applying online or by phone or by mail. It's just that simple, really. As I said before, it doesn't cost a thing to apply. So what are you waiting for? Call us today. Or if you know of a veteran who is not enrolled, have them call to start taking advantage of this benefit. If you're a veteran, it's your VA. Sign up today. Join us again for another episode of My VA Dayton with the Dayton VA Medical Center. Our episodes drop the 1st and 15th of each month. I'm Scott Lease with your co-host, Greg Tucker. Thanks again for listening to My VA Dayton.